All right, so we're in Joshua chapter 24, and before we get into some of the passage, just want to give a little background on this passage. So when this chapter is written, the children of Israel, they've gotten out of Egypt, and they have now entered into the promised land. They have won some major battles, and in reality, things are about to get good for them, or at least they, sh- uh, they, they should get, be good, and they were good uh, during the time of Joshua, and even all the elders that outlived Joshua... God did great things. In fact, what we see at the end of this chapter is fulfillment of a major prophecy. The very end of Genesis, we see Israel, they are now in Egypt. They're kind of stuck in Egypt. But Joseph, before he died, he gave a prophecy saying, the Lord will surely visit you. And he said, you're going to leave this place and you're going to carry my bones out. And that's what we read happens here. So this is kind of the fulfillment of that. And they are entering into this new era where great things are going to take place. If they will just serve the Lord, if they'll just follow the Lord. They are in the promised land. This is what they've been praying for. This is what they've been waiting for to get in the promised land. But notice how before they do this, Joshua, he kind of throws some challenges at them. And in verse 14, it says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we all know that verse. And so Joshua, he's telling them, hey, we're here. God has fulfilled his promise. God has done what he said that he would do. And now it is time for you all to make a choice. And he said, my house, we're serving the Lord. He said, if it's time for you to make a choice of serve those other gods or serve the Lord. My family is going to serve the Lord. And then notice in verse 16, the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people whom uh, through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land, Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. And so they're saying, let's do it. Let's serve the Lord. You know what? They gave the right answer here, didn't they? And you know, the truth is, if I said, you know, hey, who all wants to serve the Lord? Who all wants the Lord to do great things in our church? Well, we do, right? Of course we do. And you know, I'm preaching this right now because I was going back to some of my old sermon notes. And back in January, January 26, 2014, all right, back in 2014, I preached a message from this passage called, Are You Sure You Want the Lord to Bless Our Church? And that was the title of the message. And basically, the reason I did that is because often, you know, we ask God for things, but we don't always realize what all comes with what we are asking for. And so I was basically in that message just warning everybody, hey, if God blesses us, here's some things, some challenges that you might not realize that we're going to have. And uh, and I'll talk about some of those in a little bit. And so Joshua here, he's telling them, he's just warning these people, hey, I get what you're all asking for, but let me make sure you all understand what you're asking for and that you know what you're getting into. And so look at what it says here in verse 19. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for He is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions, nor your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods. He will turn 
and do you hurt and consume you after he hath done you good. So when he's saying here, God's not going to forgive you, he's not saying God's not a forgiving God. He's just telling these people, listen, you all are choosing to serve the Lord after all God's done, but just understand, you make this choice and then you go back on it later, God's going to get you. That's what he was saying right here. God is going to get you and he's going to hurt you. And we see throughout the book of Judges, that's exactly what would happen. They would forsake the Lord and then God would allow another army to come in and take him over. But then God would be merciful again and God would deliver him later after all these horrible things. And we just see that throughout all their history. But, but Joshua, he's just warning them. Hey, I want you to understand what you're getting yourself into when you make this commitment here. And then in verse 21, the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, You're witnesses against yourselves. They have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. It's like you said it. You said you're going to serve the Lord. So you know what? Don't complain about it when later God comes down on you because you forsook the Lord. Don't go, don't go crying about it later. You all are witnesses to yourself. So he says, now therefore, put, put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, the Lord our God will we serve and his voice will we obey. And so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it up there under an oak which was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord she spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. And understand, this wasn't just one generation making this promise. This was a nation making a promise. And therefore, God was going to require this commitment that that nation made for the next generations too. And so later on, they, or so he set this stone up. So years later, when another generation comes along, hey, we don't want to serve the Lord. Wait a minute. We've got the stone here that our father set up as a memorial about the fact that they chose to serve the Lord and we will be a nation that serves the Lord, that serves God. We're not going to bring false gods in. And this stone is a witness of what you all have decided to do. Now, Remember, they're in the promised land here. All these things that happen with Israel, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, they're an example for us. We are supposed to learn from these things. And so back when I preached that message uh, back in 2014 about, are you sure you want God to bless our church? It was on uh, the Sunday where we normally have our business meeting and talk about a lot of our goals for the next year. And I just want to say that, you know what? God has blessed our church since then. God has done good things. In fact, and I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging or anything, but you know, I feel like in many ways our church is in the promised land, so to speak. You know, we are right now kind of experiencing those days that you hear people talk about back in the glory days. You know, I mean, just, uh, you know, you, you hear the preacher talk about, you know, back when we used to have just, you know, van loads of people going out souling. Well, that's where we're at. You know, we have that, you know, we, we had visitors every week. We we're seeing people saved. We're seeing all that. You know, this is, you know, where we're at in our church right now is where we were always trying to get. And so, in, in a sense, you could say, you know, we're, we're in the promised land. Now, has there been some challenges? Yes, in fact, in my notes, you know, I've got the notes here in front of me. One of the things that I said is, you know, here, and one of the things I warn people is like, if our church grows, guess what? With more people, 
you know, comes more problems. You know, with more people, there comes more stress. You know, there's more drama. There's more challenges, more responsibilities. And let me tell you, those things, those things have all been there. And, you know, have we not experienced some battles, you know, in the past years too? I mean, we've seen some pretty crazy stuff around here in the last few years. We've had some pretty crazy attacks on our church that were pretty intense. But you know what? God got us through every single one of them. And it was so funny. Just last week, we were soul winning in Dixon. And I was talking to a guy out there, and as we got talking, some stuff came up about LGBT and everything, and I, you know, shared some of my thoughts on that. And then uh, he informed me that I probably shouldn't be bringing that kind of thing up. You know, I didn't bring it up, but you know, at the same time, he said I probably shouldn't tell people that. He said because if you do, he said you're going to end up like that pumpkin guy in Rock Falls. Uh, now, and and. I said, really? And now, and those of you that don't know that, you know, there was a big attack on us and I got named the pumpkin guy and everything. It was, it was, uh, this nasty online attack. Don't Google my name online. You'll see a lot of bad stuff. Uh, and it was, it was put out purposely by enemies to try to hurt us and to damage our church. And so uh, I realized oh, this guy doesn't realize I'm that guy. And so I just told him, I said, Oh, really? I said, and so I started to ask him about that guy and, uh, I said, he said, you remember what church? He said, I don't remember the name of the church. And I said, well, hey, just so you know, I'm that guy. And man, his countenance just fell. I thought he was going to fight me. And he, he looked really upset. And then, you know, we proceeded to talk a little more. And, uh, you know, it, it didn't go real well, but, you know, it, it you know, it, uh, I ended up leaving and I was just waiting for that guy to come looking for me again. But you could see the wheels turn. He's like remembering everything. But I was telling my family about it and, and I thought of, as I was talking about it, I thought about that line. He said, the same thing will happen to you that happened to that pumpkin guy in Rock Falls. And we were like, you know what? You know what happened in our church after we got attacked? We like doubled in size. We, you know, I was able to go full time finally. You know, after being bivocational all those years, we ended up even in 2020. In the beginning of 2020, we had another attack on our church because we dared to go soul winning in a black neighborhood, and somebody got offended by that and took pictures of our guys, posted it online, and it like went viral, accusing us of being human traffickers because <laughs> we were out soul winning. You know, they took a picture of Austin. Who, who like dresses like he does in church everywhere, you know, and, and they took a picture of him as a, as a human trafficker out passing out information, you know, stuff with this information on it. And then people locally found out about it and everybody's saying all this bad stuff about us. I got accused of being the brother of Bo Bergdahl. I don't know if you all know who he was. He was like a traitor to this country uh, that sided with the Muslims. It was, it was a big thing, but I mean, just crazy stuff like that. But yet even through all that, our church didn't miss a beat. Even with 2020 and all the stuff that was going on, you know, the Lord provided this new building for us. And so all these great things happened. And you know what? We didn't even fight any of these battles. The Lord just fought them for us. We didn't even fight back in these things. God just fought these battles for us and He gave us victory. And again, in, in many ways, I feel like we are in that, we are in that promised land. And I, I just want to say that, you know, the things that I warned about in that message that would come, the challenges, they came. But you know what? The Lord bless. Now, what I want to do over the next few weeks, I want to, I want to talk about, um, challenges 
that come in the promised land. Because you know what? Israel, even though they were in the promised land, they still had challenges. There were still battles that they had to face. Just because we're in the promised land doesn't mean we're on easy street now. We can just sit back, coast, and relax. That's not what it means. In fact, you know, we've got to make sure that we, you know, maintain that intensity and continue serving the Lord, continue doing the things that got us where we're at. And that is such an important thing. And so what, um, specifically what I want to talk about today, this is one challenge that is so important and one that we see Israel when they got in the promised land, they forgot. And that is that challenge of remembering the Lord. Remembering the Lord. Look what it says in Joshua 24. Uh, and again, in verse 22, notice how it says, Joshua said to the people, ye are witnesses against yourself that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. So we got to understand as a church, when we started this church, we started a church because we wanted to serve the Lord. We wanted to preach the word of God. We wanted to be as biblical as we could possibly be. And we were here for him. Obviously, we wanted to reach as many people as we can. But we believe that Jesus Christ, He is the head of the church. He is the one in charge. And we must never forget that. We must never... And a lot of times, when you're struggling and when you're trying to get somewhere, that's when you find yourself dependent on God. You know, When you're in that wilderness, it's, re- it's easy to pray in the wilderness. But what about when you get out of the wilderness? God didn't get you out of the wilderness so you can now quit praying, so you don't need Him anymore. We've got to make sure that we realize we need God as much today as we ever needed Him. And I do. I remember in those, I remember in those early days when you, you just didn't even know if anybody was going to come. I remember those first weeks. I remember the first week we had a lot of people come and I'm like, are any of them going to come back? You know, and then, you know, just the financial challenges that were there. I mean, there were so many different things and there was a lot of praying that went on back then. A lot of prayer went into starting this church. Well, you know what? We need just as much prayer to keep it going, to keep things alive here. Look at what it says in Revelation chapter 2. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture. Revelation chapter 2. I believe this is should be a warning for all of us. It says, it's talking about the church in Ephesus. And he said, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. And has borne and has, has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and not fainted. So this church is doing good. They got good doctrine. They're doing good works. He said, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Let me tell you something. It is a challenge. To remember that first love. It's a challenge to remember to keep that first and that greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you know, when it comes to that first love, you know, what a lot of people teach on this is, well, that's referring, the first works is referring to soul winning. And I think that's partially true because at the same time, while I ultimately believe it's about loving God. Ultimately, it's about loving God. That's the first. That is the greatest commandment. He flat out says, you have left your first love. But here's the thing about that. Why is it that we forget our first love? And what helps us to maintain that first love? Well, I believe soul is one of the best things that will help you maintain that because 
When you're out sowing every week, you're constantly telling people about salvation. You're constantly telling the Lord. It's a constant reminder of what happened to you. And what happens a lot of times, and this, this can happen to any Christian, you can just, you can forget about all that God did for you. You can forget how you were purged from your own sins. You can forget about how, you know, God, you know, changed your life. You can forget all those things that God did. It's something that was, they were constantly warned about in the Old Testament, about not forgetting the Lord. And a lot of people today, you know, they're living pretty good lives. They're pretty good Christians. And you know what they can start to think? They can start to think that, you know what, I did this. But, you need to constantly remind yourself about what Jesus did for you, about how He saved you, and none of your works had anything to do with that. None of your works that you do here in church means you're saved or got you saved or keeps you saved. It's the work of Jesus Christ that did all that kind of thing. But if we're not careful, we will forget that. So what are we going to do to make sure we remember that? What are we going to do to keep that fresh in our mind? And I believe the best thing we can do is be telling people about it. To just keep telling people about it. To make that a regular part of your life as a Christian. Something that you do on a regular basis. You tell somebody about Jesus. You tell somebody about what He did for you. And if you don't, I promise you, you're going to forget. We've got to maintain that. And when we do, I'm telling you, it's a bad thing. And let me tell you, this church here in Ephesus, all the works were good. Say, hey, the works were good, except that first one, loving God. And you know, a lot of people, some of the best soul owners I've ever seen are new Christians. And it's not because they just, you know, because when you're a new Christian, you don't often know that much doctrine, but you often love the Lord like crazy because of what he did for you. And you're anxious to tell people about it. And the gospel's powerful, folks. It doesn't matter how eloquent you are and how good your verbiage is and you got all your terminology down and all that. You know, a lot of times what gets people atten- people's attentions, it's not your ability to articulate it, but when they can see that you mean it and that you love it, that it's from the heart, people see that and it just does something. It does something. It gets their attention. What's the hardest thing about soul winning? It's getting people's attention. It's just getting them to listen. But maybe if there was some passion in what we did, like there was when we first got saved, maybe we'd get a lot more people to actually listen to us and pay attention. And I'm telling you right now, if we, I believe as long as we maintain, you know, I, I, I believe if we maintain a strong soulning program in our church, I believe that's not going to guarantee to keep the first love, but I do believe it will help. Because let me tell you something, we can make a ritual out of soulning too. We can make that a mundane task that we're just doing, going through the motions because, you know, I want to fit in the church. I want pastor to think I'm getting backslidden. And we can start doing it for the wrong reason. And I do believe it's possible to, you know, forget, leave your first love while you continue to soul win. But I think it's going to be really hard. And I think if I, if we dump the soul winning, it's going to be real easy to forget the Lord and to forget and to leave that first love. And it, it's a challenge to do that. You are not naturally going to just keep that first love just because you're saved. You, it, it's work. It takes effort and we don't ever want to forget that. And let me tell you, just because God is blessing our church, just because the bills are getting paid and some good things are happening, that is not an excuse for us to just say, you know, let's just kind of take a break on this. Let's just take it easy. No, God's blessed us. 
Let's do more for them. That's what, that, that, that's what our attitude should be. Otherwise, we're going to end up like Laodicea church. We're just going to be some lukewarm, dead church. I don't, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be the Ephesus church either. I don't want to be a church that's doing all these good things, but God's not pleased with us and threatening to remove our candlestick. Because we're not doing what He, we're not loving Him like we should. So we've got to keep that going. That was always one of Israel's biggest downfalls. So, look at what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Now remember the book of Deuteronomy. This is, uh, just to kind of give you the mindset of when this was written and when this was given. This, you know, Deuteronomy means like second law. And so this is towards the end of Moses' life. This is as he's about to turn things over to Joshua. They kind of give that law and a lot of things in it are repeated. And notice what it says in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thine house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee the great and goodly cities that thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig which thou diggest not, and vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. So right here, Moses, before right before they are about to go cross that Jordan River, after they're about to fight those battles that they fought and that they won, and then that's where we were in Joshua chapter 24, Moses warning them, God's going to bless you. God's going to do all these good things for you. He's going to give you all these things. You're going to be in that land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to eat and you're going to be full. And when you get to that point, he said, you better beware lest you forget the Lord. And you know what? That happened, didn't it? And I believe there's churches all over this country today that they were, they entered the promised land. God blessed them. God did great things for them. I mean, many mighty things. And then all of a sudden, they got comfortable. All of a sudden, they got full. And then, you know what they did? They forgot the Lord. All of a sudden, motivations changed. And let me tell you, it's important that we keep our motives right. And it's so important that we, again, we're doing these works, but we're doing them for the right reasons. We're doing them out of our love for the Lord. We must always remember that is the first and greatest commandment. And a lot of times we get so focused on these outward things so we can receive that praise of men so we can get noticed. But when it comes to loving the Lord, you know, that's, you know, we can fake that. We can fake each other out with loving the Lord, but you can't fake God out on that. And that is the most important thing, loving the Lord. But I'm telling you, here we are. God's blessing us. Are we going to get full and then forget the Lord? And understand, you know, I, I, in many ways, you know, I feel like I'm full right now, but at the same time, I don't want to forget the Lord. I don't want to forget that it was Him that got us here. It was Him that fought the battles for us. 
It was him that did all the things, that gave all the blessings. And I don't. I want to make sure I stay thankful for it. I want to make sure that I appreciate it. I don't ever want to get an attitude, we did this. No, God did this. And you know what? We want God to keep doing things. We want to see, we want to see God continue doing a work. And so let's not get, let's not get full and forget. Let's keep our motives right. And you know, sometimes I do, I believe we often serve God for the blessings instead of out of love. And you know, that's, that's not a good reason. We ought to, you know, and a lot, and a lot of times what happens too, you know, at first we're doing all these good things, you know, God's going to bless. But he does. He kind of gives us what we want, and then we back off. Well, listen, God's given us what we wanted. But let's keep serving him. Let's keep doing things for him. Let's keep. Let's just do it out of love. Say, you know what? Hey, God gave us all these blessings. We should probably be doing something with it. We God didn't give us all these things just so we can enjoy it for ourselves. You know, we should probably be doing a great work with this. In fact, we should look at all that God's given us and it ought to give us uh, overwhelm us with a attitude of responsibility that to whom much is given, much is required. So, you know, at the same time, while, you know, God has blessed us, you know, one of the challenges that's come with God's blessing in the way things have gone down is, you know, I don't get my Sunday afternoon nap anymore. Yeah, you know, and I kind of miss my Sunday afternoon nap. I'm I'm not going to lie, but at the same time, you know, what? I'm okay with that. I, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying these blessings, you know, and yeah, I used to be able to get a nap, but we also didn't used to have Sunday soul winning. It was only Saturday that we, that we had it. And there's a lot, you know, I'd rather have those works going on. And so it's like, God's given us all these things. I'm not just going to let it sit and not do something with it so I can get my nap. You know, that's not how that works. You know what? The Lord's blessed us. The Lord's given us some things. Let's do something with it. We're a lot busier now on Sunday. You know, we've got the choir practice that we have to do, which also cuts in the nap time. You know, we've got, you know, the, you know, the kids choir practice. You know, there's, there's all these things, but it's like, folks, God has given us all this talent. God didn't just bring you all so you could just sit here and do nothing with it. We're supposed to do something with the talent. We're supposed to be doing something with all of you. You're out, you, you all, you know, I shouldn't look at you all as just people who come so I have a bigger audience to preach to and more money they can, people that can put money in the offering. No, with more people, that's more work that God expects our church to be doing. But with all of that, it comes more challenges. But you know what? It's when we are using these things and, you know, keeping that intensity up that keeps us dependent on God. And we need to continue that attitude because we don't want to forget. And it is. It's easy to forget. Now turn over to Psalms chapter 85. So it's a challenge to keep our first love. It's a challenge to keep our motives right. And you know what else? It's also a challenge to keep ourselves from needing revive. Now, what is something that we hear throughout churches all the time? We need revival. Right? Well, why do we need revival? Why did, why did we get unvived to begin with, you know, how about we just don't, is that a word? I, you know, how about we just don't get unvived and then we won't need revived. We can just, we can just stay there. You know, that, that needs to be our attitude. But you know what? That's a challenge. You know, when, when revival comes, maintaining that is a real challenge and we want to make sure that we, you know, live up to that challenge. So look what it says 
in Psalms 85, it says, Thou, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Now, it's important because everybody knows the verse, Wilt thou not revive us again? Okay? Let, let's get the background on this. Israel had been, or Judah had been taken captive into Babylon. They'd been there for 70 years. God, as he promised by the prophet Jeremiah, brought them out of that captivity and he brought them back in their land. God blessed them to where, you know, Cyrus, he told them that they could rebuild that temple. They could rebuild those walls. All these things are, are in place. Everything is in place. God has done everything that God said he would do so Israel could be restored, so their temple could be rebuilt, so the sacrifice could, sacrifices could be reinstituted. Everything that was needed for Israel to have revival, God had given it to them. But if we read, you know, the books of Haggai, Zechariah, Zechariah when you read, you know, in Ezra, Nehemiah, Israel wasn't doing anything with it. And so God had to send these prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, along to come and tell them, hey, you've been brought back into the land. Why aren't you rebuilding this temple? Why aren't you rebuilding the walls? And then we see how they ended up doing these things. But right now, in this psalm, they are in a situation where God has restored everything for them, but they're doing nothing. Okay, It's important that we understand that. So in verse 2, it says, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sins, Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger towards us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out that anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. Now, what people don't realize when they read this verse is God had done all these things. They weren't doing anything. And you know, many people today, they've got this attitude. They're sitting in church and they're saying, Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? But wait a minute. I do believe that in Acts, on Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit came and He empowered the believer during that time. But that was when the indwelling of the Holy Spirit started. And you know what? All believers have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We all have that. You know what that tells me? That tells us, that tells me that God, if we're saved, God has given us what we need for revival. Here's the big question. What are we doing with it? That, that's the question. What are we doing with it? You know, and the problem is I think a lot of people have redefined revival into being an exciting service where we're all, you know, whooping and hollering and shouting and crying and feeling good. But folks, that's not, that's not revival if we go, you know, we're all running the aisles, but then we all walk out of here the exact same as we were. You know, if we're in disobedience to God and yet we all get excited, but then we don't start obeying God. And the truth is a lot of people are they're calling for revival, they're begging for revival and all these things. But the truth is, God has given us His Holy Spirit. We just need to do what He's told us to do. And you know what? That's a challenge. God, God had already done His part for Israel. Israel now needs to do theirs. It's like they wanted God to just come build a temple for them. No, you got to build the temple. And guess what? When they built the te- started building the temple, there were challenges. There were people working against them. There were people that were trying to discourage them. But they needed to do it. And so when a church is dead, it's their fault, not God's. We're just waiting for the Lord to show up and do something. I think God's waiting for you to show up and do something. That's what's going on. If you're saved, you've got the Holy Spirit. He's here. It's time to get obedient. And here's what I believe has happened. 
today and what's going on with that church that needs revival. And if, folks, if we forget, this will be us. This will be us in no time at all if we forget. And I believe what happened is they were working and God was blessing. And it's like at some point, it's like they just kind of sat down. You know, it's like, it's like, all right, you know what? Have you ever finished a job and then you just, you know, like mowing the grass and you just kind of want to sit down and look at it? And it's like, this is where a lot of churches are today, spiritually speaking. They're sitting around and they're looking, hey, this is nice. Hey, you know what? We just, we got a lot done. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to take it easy now. You know, we're all, we're all good now. Yeah, the church is full. Your work's being done. This is good. But, and then what ends up happening, they're doing nothing. And then all of a sudden, the church dies because they, they forget. They get lazy. They quit doing the work. And then they all start longing for the old days. But the old days or the glory days, it's not the days when they were working, they were praying, when they were trusting in God, when they were fighting battles. The glory days is when they were sitting on the chair. That, and that's what they all want to get back to. That, and, uh, and so when they're saying, well, they're not revive us again, they're saying, Lord, get, make my easy chair comfortable again. Because I'm in my easy chair, but nothing's getting done. This stinks. And so they're saying, Lord, do something while they're in their easy chair. And the Lord's telling them, get out of your easy chair. Go do something. Go do what I told you to do. Go do what you were doing in the beginning. That's what God wants us to do. But everybody today, they're looking, Lord, get us back to the glory days of the easy chair. Folks, we got to stay out of that easy chair. We got we got to stay away from that. We get in there, we're going to be in great danger and we're going to be that church. We're going to be that dead church talking about the glory, talking about all the things we used to do. Yeah, I'll still get invited to preach somewhere. And I'll get up and I'll be that same guy. Well, back in t- you know 2020, our church was doing this, church was doing that. Of course it's 2050 now. I haven't seen anybody saved since then. Boy back in 2020, I was, you know, our church, we were there. I was the man, you know, and these young people today never seen things that we saw back in the 20s. Well, yeah, and you know what? Because you dropped the ball and didn't show them how to do things. You know, now they're going to be trying to rediscover it themselves and they're going to follow the trendies of 2050, whatever that looks like. I'm scared to death of what that's going to look like. Looks bad enough right now. Good night. But let me tell you something, you know, we don't want to get to that easy, you know, easy chair attitude where we're comfortable and then just begging God to get us back to where we're comfortable and prosperous again. That's not going to happen. You know what? We just need to maintain the work. We need to maintain that love for God and don't get lazy. Don't get careless on these things. I don't want, I don't want to be that church and I don't want to forget the Lord. And I believe that's going to be one of the greatest challenges that we're going to face in the promised land. And it's not the only challenge. We're going to talk about a couple more challenges uh, over the next week that are very, that are exactly what Joshua dealt with. And we're seeing churches today. And I've seen this, I'm seeing this too in churches that are being blessed and that are kind of in that promised land. What ends up happening, making the same mistake that they made in Joshua's day. And it's, it's devastating later. And so let's, actually do what we're supposed to do with those Old Testament scriptures 
and let's say these were written for our admonition, there's something God wants us to learn. Here's where we are right now in, you know, figuratively speaking, in our church, what messed up things for Israel? And you know what? The Bible tells us, and so what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to look at that and say, now, let's not do that. Let's not do that. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for all Your blessings. Lord, it's just uh, overwhelming to think about all that You've done for us and Your goodness to us. And dear God, I just pray that You will not let us forget it. I pray, Lord, while things are good, we will remain dependent on You. We will remain thankful. We will uh, just keep that love alive. And Lord, we want to see You do great things. Help us to learn these lessons that uh, we're supposed to learn from these Old Testament stories and help us to not make those mistakes and help us to stay victorious until your return. In your name we pray. Amen.